so he imported knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like family embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and encounter your word. As always, God, we thank you that you are a God who communicates. So you don't leave us in the dark about what matters most. We are so grateful you've not left us in the dark about what you've done for us in Christ. He is our one hope. Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us as a faith family to walk through Ecclesiastes and now to bring us to the very end, the conclusion, all the experiments have led now to this exhortation. That in this world, under the sun, without you, there's just emptiness. But with you, nothing is meaningless. So help us to be those who do fear you, who live in such a way that each day we live a God-centered life. And that we seek to walk joyfully and willingly in your word. Because we're convinced it's best for us. I pray we would not read all the other books about your word and forsake your word. As this text points us to that nothing is better for your people than your word. And so, Father, we pray one more time as we, we come to Ecclesiastes that you would feed us. One more time that you would incline our hearts toward this word. Perhaps as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, we want to hear something else besides fear you and obey you. Maybe there's something easier we want or, or not having to walk in your ways. And remind us one more time, we don't know what's best. You do. And so once again, Father, we pray for your word to be clear across our city today in each of our sister churches. Empower the preaching of your word, the receiving of your word, and then the living and sharing of your word. And we ask not to be just informed. We want to be transformed. We want to be those who don't just know that we're to fear you and to obey you. We want to be those who in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the grace that you grant each day that we do these things. For this is our responsibility. This is also where fullness of joy can be found in walking with you. And so forgive us when we choose sin thinking we know a better way to joy. There is no lasting joy in sin. Forgive us when we think there's something more satisfying in disobedience. There is nothing lasting there. So use your word as a goad to, to fuel us, to correct us lovingly, to save us from ourselves, to keep us from wasting this one life you've granted. Help us to maximize this life by living for the good of others and for your glory. Living your word. Help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, we are, let's see, there we are.
check, check. There we are. All right. So as we uh, come to the end, I, I do want to remind just a couple of important announcements before we jump into Ecclesiastes. Uh, we do hope that each of our guests, that you will stay and join us for group link. And, and then our Wednesday nights do start. One of the things this Wednesday, too, once we dismiss our students and children, we will take time to talk through our trustee proposal that, we are, uh, get, that we've sent you with regard to our bylaws because we don't officially have anything in our bylaws. Should things go through with this other property, we, we, we don't have uh, anyone who can officially sign on behalf of Trace. And so we will have a discussion about that this Wednesday. And I do hope that you'll make plans for the 25th when the moon is here and then for the missions fair. And then should the Lord give us next Sunday, we're going to kick off First Peter uh, that begins like this to uh, those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Won't that be fun? That's going to be a lot of fun, isn't it? But as Jesus says, hey, don't worry about the text that is to come for each text has enough concern of its own. And so we shall deal with the one that is before us today. As we come to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes, I pray that there is no conclusion to God's using this word in our lives. I pray that we are not those who seek to get through Bible books and then move on to the next one, but we we are those who want those Bible books to get in us and then to be developed through us, that the fruit of that would be born outward and that we would would, uh, not just put it out of mind as we move on to the next text. And we do that. You hear me say in First Peter because our convictions are, and you'll see even in this text, that nothing is better for God's people than God's word. And we want to give the whole counsel. And so we switch Old Testament, New Testament, and then we switch genres. We'll study First Peter because it's a non-Pauline epistle. We were obviously in Mark the last time. We were in a gospel. But prior to that, we've done Pauline epistles. We've done apocalyptic. We've done history. So we're running out of genres uh, uh, to, to transition to in the New Testament. So we'll, we'll begin now to, to just pick and, and, and those that are in some of the same genres, but nothing is better for God's people than God's word. And so we want the word to get into us so the word can come out from us. How many of you have found in our study of Ecclesiastes uh, that a book that God breathed out so long ago is still relevant in your lives today? You found that? Yeah, we have. I wonder, obviously it's not part of the sermon and presentation, I wonder if any one of you here would just be willing to share maybe one way God has used something from Ecclesiastes in your life since we started this journey back in April. Uh, Maybe it's something God used to convict you or correct you or maybe to encourage or empower you. Anyone uh, got a word that you would say, man, this really stood out in Ecclesiastes or or this gripped me in, in this passage? I just wanted to pause and give a moment here. I know the air conditioners allow, but anyone... Uh, would say, this really stood out to me. God used this from Ecclesiastes. Good, that's what I was hoping for, such encouragement. (laughs) Go ahead, Matt. Anyone else? Just a way that maybe the Lord's used Ecclesiastes in your in your journey. 
afresh. Thank you, Rory. And hello, Lucy Joy. There you are. All right. One more, maybe? Just pausing here for a moment. James. Yeah, becoming Christian doesn't make everything great or easy. Yeah, there's still difficulties. Good. Well, as we end, before we do these last verses, let's go back to chapter one, where we all thought we were going to need antidepressants. Let's go back to chapter one just for a moment and and consider what we have walked through. Um, And those of you who Again, first Sunday, you get to go through the whole book of Ecclesiastes in one sermon. Yay! We won't, we won't do all of that. But here's what he says. Here's how he began. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Yes, such an encouraging word. Such an encouraging word. And of course, we know that uh, his beginning here is that as Matt articulated for us, that everything is meaningless outside of Jesus. So everything is meaningless is what he's pointing to here. The gain that we seek, the lasting significance, it doesn't exist under the sun because nothing changes, nothing satisfies, nothing's new, and because everyone dies and is forgotten. And of course, as we've gone along, what we've seen is that he, he doesn't mean to say just that everything is meaningless, but that everything is meaningless without God without him that there there is no significance to it he wasn't trying to fuel our depression but our diligence is what we've talked about and his experience experiments of emptiness have led to exhortations of eternal significance here's what really matters with your one life and it's been interesting because we would readily say we know there's no lasting gain in sin but then what he did is he took all the things that we often pursue wisdom pleasure work And he would set them up and then knock them down, one, as poor idols. We shouldn't have them as idols. They they can't save us. And there's no lasting joy that comes from them. And that all the pleasures in the world can't provide what we think they promise. And no matter how hard we work, one day everything we own will be owned by others. Just look at Cracker Barrel every time you go and see those pictures and know that's junk hung on someone else's wall one day or was under their kitchen sink, right? Ultimately, what we seek from the world can only be supplied from God. 
And then, of course, we got do everything, turn, turn, right? So we got pop culture songs, and, uh, and we were reminded that we need, to, we need God's grace to recognize and receive and rejoice in each season of life, knowing that none are arbitrary, but all are lovingly appointed by our Father. He has a reason for each season. But even in the seasons themselves, there's no lasting game because high school comes, then college comes, then work comes, and none of those seasons stay the same forever. More recently, in in the latter chapters, especially chapter 9, we've been reminded that we need to have a healthy perspective on death. You do not maximize life by minimizing death. His contention is, and that's why I love him, he's a realist to say, man, there are some difficult things, as Brad has said in life. And, and one of those is just, here's death. And it comes to the wise, it comes to the foolish. It comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. It's an equalizer across the board. And so when we understand the reality of death, then it's going to move us to go and enjoy God's gifts with gratitude and to take pleasure in eating and drinking with family and friends and prizing our family, especially our spouse, we were reminded in chapter 9, and enjoy what God gives us to do and to do it with all of our might. And with our one life, the path of wisdom is better than the path of foolishness. He's constantly pointing this out. He makes those conclusions in chapter 9 and 10. And then last week, we had the joy of being reminded that decline, death, and dust is coming for all our bodies. Anyone feel a little dustier this week? <laughs> you feel a little dustier? Like, I think that decline advanced. And, and we were encouraged, look, we should risk much for the gospel and the good of others while we can. There will come a time that you cannot get on a plane and go to that missions training that the moon's offering in October. There will be a time that you cannot come along the McCords where they're serving on the other side of the world or to visit where the Baxters serve or to be able to go. There will come a time that David and Melissa will not be able to serve in Papua New Guinea because... the state of our bodies and so now is the time to risk much for the gospel and to go and to rejoice in God and the sweet things of life and to remove worry and all other sins and to remember our creator and today we come to the last verses 9 through 14 here the research is complete and now he shares the final result he says look this is this is the end of it after all of those experiments here's what we've determined And what we come to today is, I would say, one of the most preached passages in the entire book. And I would say that that those who preach this text without having walked their people all the way through Ecclesiastes rob their people of the experience of Ecclesiastes, right? You can certainly skip to the end like it's the Notes version of that, but you'll be robbed of the richness of the text in which Solomon has provided all of that research to impact our life, passage after passage after passage. I do want to confess something to you, and I think I shared this with you, but you know, a few weeks ago when we were having our congregational vote about the FCC property, it became apparent that like 87,000 of you were going to be out of town, and you coordinated that, you know? And so we were a little worried as a pastoral staff that it would be just us, and we were going to do life group that Sunday morning here because so many of you wrote and said hey we want to vote but we're going to be out of town and so for a moment you should know that we really entertained ending the Ecclesiastes study that Sunday because we thought the most Ecclesiastes thing we could do with you is make you suffer through that stuff and then miss the conclusion right you're like that's just Ecclesiastes right and so 
We didn't do that because we love you and we value each passage of God's word so much that we didn't follow through. But man, we really thought about it. That's why James almost read the rest of 10, 11, and 12 that Sunday. He really was going to do it if I hadn't stepped up because Matthew misinformed him. And so that's Matthew's fault. And I just wanted to point that out this morning. So I just wanted to throw him under the, the, the bus because he's not in here. So oh, what we... What we want to do, is, and, and, and as I, you know, as I thought about that, here, here's where I was convicted, especially in light of this text today that's talking about the value of God's word in our lives. Here's what it made me consider after I thought about it. I wondered if would not just some who would be out that day, but would all of us who were out that day and all who were present really care if we skipped to the end or not? I wondered if you'd really care if you missed the end of the text or... And, and those who were here that you would miss maybe what was in between. And our God and his words so important to us that we don't want to just get through a Bible book series. But we want God to use that book in and through us for the rest of our lives. Would we all care, not because we want to hear whatever pithy application points that we come up with as we teach. But because we want to hear each syllable the Lord has given us that we might know what he wants and do it in his power and because of the gospel. Do we care? Do we, do we care about those tags? Or we're like, hey, just move in. All of this, of course, leads us to Solomon's conclusion today that nothing is better for God's people than God's word. And nothing is meaningless because God reigns. We've just sung about it all through the service and, and his reigning. And so our responsibility is to fear and love and delight in him and to obey the good words of our good king. At the top of your notes, if you receive those coming in, there should be a passage in a sentence. And we do that every week because we want to make sure the main point is not ambiguous. We want to make sure the main point is clear and not just for you. We want you to be able to then teach this passage to others, to those that you're discipling, that you understand that. That's why we take time. We don't uh, try to just come up with Pauline paragraphs that are one sentence uh, to, to make it difficult. We want to make sure you don't miss the main point of what's there. And so the main point of this concluding passage is that because God reigns, nothing is meaningless. And our responsibility is to fear him and to obey the good words of our good king. Here's what we see in 9 through 14. It says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. If I were to simplify even the outline that I've given you, I would say that there are three main aspects of this, that we would fear God and that we would be faithful to him and that we would be fervent in going with the gospel because we know a judgment is coming. And we know there is only one means of escaping that, and that's Christ. And so that we would fear him and be faithful and be fervent with the gospel. But I want to, to start not with the, the first aspects about God's word. I want to start where he does in verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And, and to, to remind you, there is someone above the sun. So much of the refrain in Ecclesiastes over and over is under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. When he comes to the end of all of it, he comes to say, but that's not all there is. 
That's not all there is. There is one who is above the sun, and he reigns. A sun, S-U-N, obviously there in your notes, that there is someone who exists, and that we are to remember him while we can, and we are to live our life in a God-centered way, specifically being called to fear him and obey him. That's what our exhortations are. And that's, you know, I know that's what you just wanted to hear this morning, right? You're like, yes, I want to come in and be reminded I need to fear God and obey him. Yes, I longed for that word all week, right? There are plenty of us who don't. We want independence from him. But our desire for independence will never change the fact God reigns and God will always reign. And because he reigns, there's some summary truths. And I've put them there in the outline for you that as you think about all that Solomon has given us here in Ecclesiastes... Two statements in particular I want you to consider that without God's providence, our suffering would have no purpose and neither would anything else. That without him reigning above that sun, that our pain in particular would would have no purpose. I shared with you a few weeks ago about the two siblings in California that had brain tumors in the exact same location. When we suffer, and especially when our children suffer, we who know God and his promises trust that nothing is random. But that all is by the design of a God who's with us, for us, and working all things to our good and for the display of his glory. We can trust that. But without one who's above the sun, then all of the pain under the sun would have no purpose. There would be no meaning. It would just be bad luck or a tough break or just gut-wrenching agony without meaning, right? That's what would be there. And so in in speaking of providence, I, I find I often have to be reminded that God is good in what he gives and what he withholds. I found that even recently. And and I I readily admit yesterday with our pastoral staff that I can more easily accept the goodness of God and what he gives or withholds from me more than I can accept what he gives or withholds from my children. So what if he withholds health from your children? Because he has a better design. He has a design for their pain. There's an opportunity for growth and grace when what you wanted for your children is not what he wanted for them. And to grow in your trust of him. We want them to have long, fruitful, and joyful lives serving for the advancement of the gospel. But as we learn in Proverbs, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. If I could, I would spare my children from every pain, but in God's providence, even pain has a purpose. And that is really tough, singing one of those last, the, the new song of, you know, that I will bless you in what you take away. And I, and I can remember, you know, when when... Tara and I, when Tara had the miscarriage and we lost that second child between Arabella and Adelaide, that uh, I've shared with you before that immediately, I I was preaching in Arkansas, but immediately the Holy Spirit empowered me to stand up from, from, I was sitting on a concrete bench and just to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then I went on to preach that night where I was and then I drove through the night all the way down to Baton Rouge and the next morning uh, Tara would have a, DNC and and we would confirm the baby was indeed dead and and then that Sunday I would preach Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, I wept through the entire message. I wept through the entire message, you know. And what I am grateful for that because there is one over the sun, that even the pain of the loss of a child has purpose. That when your child doesn't get a full lie for or when you don't get that moment. You, you know, my father, I've shared with you before that when my father became a believer, he, he was a believer for a year and two months before he died. The best part of our relationship was that last year and two months. 
And I would have wanted more of that. And, and that was not in God's design. And so what we can know is that because he reigns, there's nothing that's random. And that even pain has a purpose. That when you, when you stand with a family in the cemetery and they, they drive out, but they leave the body of their little one behind, that even pain has a purpose in his providence, that he cares that he's working all things for our good and for his glory, and it's not just gut-wrenching agony without meaning. Not a single tear is in vain. And that's what Solomon wants you to get as he concludes, there's one over the sun. There's one over the sun. And so the second sort of summary aspect of that then is without God's sovereignty and salvation, there would be nothing in this life of lasting significance. Without God, there would be no lasting gain. It would just be total loss for all of us. Total loss because we can't hold on to it forever. So if God didn't exist and if there is no God, there is no meaning and nothing matters. You don't even, you, you shouldn't even be here. Don't waste these moments. Whatever it is you enjoy, go do it. Go to the beach, whatever it is. That nothing matters if there is no God. And without God, one should pursue power and pleasure and try to hold on to it for as long as you can because without God, there's no purpose. I think about you know, serving in Africa and, and listening to one of those students in a prayer group I was with. And one of them said, you never know who's going to be in charge in Africa when you wake up each morning because it's really about who can get power and hold on to it for the longest in some of those different countries and nations. But Solomon has already shown us that even if you could pursue every pleasure there was and have all the power, none of that will provide lasting gain or significance or meaning. And in the end, you're going to die and relinquish it to someone who comes behind you. So without the one who's above the sun, everything under the sun would be one big experiment and emptiness for all of us. The depth of our soul would never find lasting satisfaction. And so what... Solomon has sought to do is to show us how meaningless life is without God, how little joy there is under the sun, and we try to leave him out of his universe, and especially out of our world, out of our week. Oh God, I got this. Uh, I got it. If without his sovereignty and salvation, there would be nothing in this life of lasting significance, which helps us then as we come to this point to not waste time on the things that don't provide the lasting and deep satisfaction that Christ and Christ alone does. And so he says, look, there's one above the sun and he reigns. And so there's purpose. And so two then responses to that. He says, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. There's a responsibility to his reign. We've already sung that because he reigns, we should adore him. And of course, being reminded that, that praise is the culmination of joy, that we express praise because of that joy reaching its height. And we want to share that out. And we'll see that here. But it brings us to two then responses. The first one is because he reigns, we're to fear him. He reigns and he's keeping a record of all things. So he says in verse 13, fear God, keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And another has said, perhaps the terms fear and obey are not the terms we either expected or wanted to read at the end of Ecclesiastes. Modern people tend to find the words freedom instead of fear and independence instead of obedience much easier to swallow. 
The words fear and obey sound so constricting, but the words fear and obey are the precise words that God wants us to reflect on and heed. Fearing God and obeying his commands are his solution. So what does it mean, one more time, to, to fear God? Because it's the central concept in all of wisdom literature. Proverbs begin, what's the fear, uh, what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God, right? So wherever we go, we're being reminded of this, and it's really an attitude of submission to, respect for, dependence on. It means living a God-centered life that you remember who he is versus who you are. That's one of the best ways. And that we trust him, that, 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 that we acknowledge who he is. And when we possess the fear of God, then we also learn from Proverbs that sin loses its sweetness and strength. Proverbs sixteen six says that by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. That we realize that's not the best path. And as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes, if you're, if you're struggling to, to see, okay, what is Solomon telling us is the answer to emptiness, fearing and obeying God? That, that's what he tells us. He gives you two motivations as a part of that. First one is joy, and he said it all through the text. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice all through Ecclesiastes. We're called to use the gifts God gives us as a means of further joy in him. He is not asking this whole duty of man that, that we, would, we would object. Let me, let me take you back... Uh, uh, one moment here. I, I taught the junior high retreat for TCPS. Mitch and I led the worship service on Thursday for that. And uh, I reminded them of what I, I've taught you at different times, but uh, there's a question I always like to ask and with students in the summer, what's our purpose? And I make them say to glorify God. All right. Let's see if we can just practice that. What's our purpose? Yeah, good. It's the most you'll ever see Baptists raise their hand. So uh, to, to glorify God, we know that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. That's where we start. The Bible verse we start each school year with, you know, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God, that we were created for his glory. Ephesians 1 says to the praise of his glory. But how do we do that? And, and the way I always try to teach students is by knowing him, obeying him, enjoying him forever. By knowing him, obeying him, enjoying him forever. By knowing him, obeying him, enjoying him there it is good you got it forever and I think growing up there was much about knowing God and obeying God but enjoying him was a foreign concept and yet the height of discipleship is delighting in God and so as we see here this is our duty this is our responsibility he never meant it to be without joy that the height of obedience is joy in that with God, delighting in God he has never required joyless obedience but do you know that more than any sin ever has, God is always aiming at your fullness of joy. Did you know that? That in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures evermore. And so those who lack fear and obedience toward God also lack lasting joy. There's no lasting joy found in sin. And so here we're reminded that Yes, he reigns, but it's not just to cause us to have just sheer fear and obligation, but joy, joy. But for those of us, the joy isn't just a sufficient motivator, then he does get to judgment. He says in verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so if joy doesn't grip you, perhaps judgment will. And there is indeed someone who makes a list and checks it twice and knows who's been naughty or nice. Every deed, he says here, and every secret thing. One day, all of God's recording will lead to God's reckoning. Every thought, every word, every action will be assessed by God in his holiness. 
in his holiness. For those in Christ, we will be covered. For those not in Christ, they will be condemned. And so in his reckoning, he will make all things right. When you didn't get that promotion you should have gotten. When so-and-so did this to you and, and, and you didn't respond. Or, he will make all things right. In our world, the lack of justice that we see. He will make all things right. He will reward and he will ruin. But he will do it. It's coming and nothing will be hidden. Uh, Philip Ryken says, at the final judgment, it will matter how we used our time, whether we wasted it on foolish pleasures or worked hard for the Lord. It will matter what we did with our money, whether we spent it on ourselves or invested it in the eternal kingdom. It will matter what we did with our bodies, what our eyes saw, our hands touched, our mouths spoke. Whether we obeyed our father and mother will matter. So will the look we gave them and the little comment we made as we were walking away. What we did for a two-year-old will matter. The way we made time for her and got down on her level. What we said about someone else's performance will matter. The sarcastic remark or the word of genuine praise. The proud boast and the selfless sacrifice will matter. The household task and the homework assignment will matter. The cup of water, the tear of compassion, the word of testimony, all of it matters. The final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but that everything does. Everything matters. What we did, how we did it, and why we did it, all will have eternal significance. And the reason that everything matters is because everything in the universe is subject to the final verdict of a righteous God who knows every secret. And so we're called to fear Him through joy. And if that doesn't stir you, then judgment that is to come. Which gets us then to the other response to His reign and that is to obey him. Because he reigns, we're to obey him. Or it should be joyful obedience because he reigns for our best. The two separable components of genuine faith are fear of God and obedience to his revelation. There's no genuine faith in people who just pray a prayer and then go on with their lives. That's not what you see of genuine faith. There is fear of God and walking in his ways. And so I just wonder... We here at Trace Crossing who do put an emphasis as elders, we pray every year at our elder retreats. In our services, we want to sing the word. We want the word read. We want to pray the word. We want to preach the word. We want to follow the directions the word gives us of what we should do when we're gathered. But I wonder, are we really those who delight in the good words of our good king? Are we grateful that we have him? And here's what Solomon goes back and and he says, and look in particular where these words all come from. At the end of verse 11, he says, The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And so as he's talking about all the arranging that he did and, and all the characteristics of it, he says there's one source, though, in all of this. That we have a God who shepherds us. That's what I love about Psalm 95. Psalm 95 says that God is a great king above all kings. And what we learn from Psalm 95 is that God has authority over everyone and everything everywhere, right? And he goes on to say, well, who gave him that? He says, well, he created the mountains and the oceans. You may have created Pop-Tarts at breakfast, but he created everything that went into those, especially the geniuses who created Pop-Tarts. So he, he reigns over all of these things. But then I love that it says this, that like a shepherd, he leads us. That he uses that authority for our best. 
How terrible it would be if God had all power, but he wasn't holy. He wasn't good. We had all authority, and he used it to our detriment. But God uses his authority for our best. And so the phrase of a shepherd, a shepherd who leads. And so our shepherd, God gives us his word. He's breathed it out on his path. And there, there are some things that we can know. He says in verse 9, besides being wise, through God's word, God gives us wisdom. And then not just that. It says the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. And so our shepherd has given us the way that we can have wisdom and knowledge. And one of the ways that we always try to help you understand the difference, knowledge knows it's raining. Wisdom knows to get out of the rain, right? And so the difference between these. So we have both. He's, he's seen that we could, we could know everything about what we know. Matter of fact, Solomon has already told us, right? He's already told us the cloud that's full rains, you know? The tree that falls, there it lies. See, such knowledge, right? Impacts our every day of life. He gives us these things. But the wisdom is what's, what's behind it, right? And so we have wisdom, we have knowledge. But then, you know, how many of you... Uh, Addie is the worst. Adelaide hates... She, she hates pills, first of all. My girl is going to take liquid medicine until she's 50, you know? She just, uh, she's been our little gag reflux baby, which leads to other stories. But... Who of us, how many of you have ever had medicine that was just awful? You know what I'm saying? And the only reason you took it was because you knew it would make you better, right? There was just no, no delight in it. It was just obligation, right? I love, you know, God could have just given us his word in just a bland way. But he says here, verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly. He wrote words of truth. You know, I teach a, a seminar every January at Southeastern on preaching through the genres. And you know what I love about the genres is that God has chosen many different ways to speak to us. That's what they reveal about him and how creative he is in his communication and variousness. And, and it's meant to be there. I told you before that when we don't preach through lamentations because we don't know what to do with all the woes and the, and the laments, that we, that we rob our people, that God has given us a way to wrestle through pain with him and, and that we have these genres and, and that what God has said, said is meant to fuel joy in our lives. That when I grow up, I want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 119 that says, your words are my delight, your precepts. I, I delight in them so much. And, and obviously there are times that we don't. Our heart's not inclined to what he says. And what I don't want to be are, are, are like those who binge TV series. Why, when Netflix gives you the option, watch next show now, you know, next episode now. Why do we go on? It's be, because there, there's joy in there, or at least curiosity, you know, that you, you want to move forward. And, and I just wonder, when's the last time our joy in God fueled our binging of his word that you couldn't get enough you couldn't wait to the next chapter i'm reading through a book about adoniram judson with adoniram and alistair every night and every night brothers like dad can we read a little more in the next chapter because we want to go further we want to see what happens is he going to make it out of that boat when they're overrun is he going to make it into india and we know he's not he's going to be sent to burma but every night adoniram's like dad can we go a little further and i want to myself i'm excited about it, right and I want to say, God, please make me that way with First Peter. God, make me that way with Ecclesiastes. Make me that way even when the words say, fear and obey you, that there would be joy. And I would say, yes, because you are good and right. That's good and right. Feel my joy that your word would be my delight because you are my delight. And I want to hear every word, every syllable, 
you want to grant to me because I've become convinced they're all for my best. They're all for my best, right? And so through his word, we know that we can walk in truth. It says this in verse 10, salt, kind words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. It's why we use phrases such as inerrancy and these sorts of things that we know if we do follow all of what God says, we will never walk in error. That we will walk in what's right and good and true. And then it says that through his word, we're lovingly corrected. Use the word goad. How many of you use that word this week? You know? Man, I'm, there's a good goad in my life, right? Uh, but his goading is for our good. Repeat after me. His goading is for our good. And the goad is, is like a cattle prod, right? That sometimes, how many of you found God's word zapped you, right? Like, nope, get on this bad boy. And you're like, yes, sir. You know, I'll be moving right along, right? And so, man, it is a goad. It is, it is for our good. And it is a grace. We say this all the time that when God saves us from ourselves, what a grace. What a grace, right? There is certainly pain and discipline, right? Uh, one of my children who's not in here, he was delirious the other day at just the thought that I was about to discipline him, right? He didn't even get to the pain yet, and it was already meltdown. Mama was afraid she was going to have to call child service. I hadn't touched the child, right? Whichever one that may be, it's male, 50-50. So, so uh, there is pain in discipline, but not near as much pain as there is in disobedience. And so when God uses his word as a goad to say, not that path, because you know what that path is? Heartache. You know what that path is? Pain for your family. Not that path. Get back over here. And so his word guides us. It lovingly corrects us. And then he goes on to use this picture like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. I uh, often use these anchors. When Opie paints at our house, he hates it because I use anchors to hang everything. And I like to use like the 150-pound anchor to hang like the little tie rack, you know? Jank is not coming down at my house, right? We've all been there where we should have used an anchor and then the nail or the screws just like through the drywall. Not at the Dowden house, man. That stuff, the house may implode, but those anchors are going to be in the drywall forever. And, and that's the picture here that like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. And what he is saying here is because God never changes, neither will his word. Neither will his word. Who he is, he will always be. The promises he's made, he will always keep. Praise God for that. That when he says that he will forgive, he will always forgive. He's not going to pull the rug out from under us at the end. That if we confess our sins, he's not going to be like, ah, just kidding. All right? That he will follow all the way through and that what he decrees will be done. And so what he comes to, he says in verse 12, that this, at the end of verse 11, I'm sorry, these are given by one shepherd. So again, he loves us. He breathes it out. And, and my son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. What a good week one of school verse for us, right? Children, do not use this text this week to your teachers or your parents. Be like, oh, the Bible says that much study is weariness of the flesh. I'm weary already, right? And what, he, what he means is that nothing is better for us than God's word. He's like, look, God has given us this word of truth, this word that's eternal, this word that brings wisdom and knowledge. And of the making of all these other books, there is no end. I read this year, the, uh, like at least a million books are published every year. Can you believe that stuff? And did you know that not all of them are worth reading? You know, if you see anything on Ezekiel, Esther, now buy that stuff because that's, that's quality, right? I saw uh, a statistic 
just yesterday from Lifeway Research, so who knows that both people that responded to it were honest, but it says that 11% of Christians have read through the Bible once and only 9% have read through it more than once. Because maybe we're not convinced these are the good words of our good king. Maybe they're not a delight to our souls. Maybe, maybe we, we want to read all these. I, and I would just say, may we never be guilty of reading more books about the Bible than we read, study, memorize, pray, sing, and share the Bible itself. Forget what any of your favorite scholar has put together in his collection. It will never be more important than just you and God's word and his Holy Spirit feeding your soul, feeding your soul. May we never be guilty of giving more attention and our affections to the words of men rather than the word of God. Hold your place in Ecclesiastes just for a moment. Turn to 2 Timothy while we're on that topic just to see this word. 2 Timothy. In chapter 3. Beginning of verse 10, this is what Paul tells Timothy in his last letter to him. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is theonoustos. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be ready in season out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths myths like there is no god myths like do what you want you only live once and so we learn from timothy to from Paul to Timothy. God has given his word. He's breathed it out and it is for our good. And it's the very same thing that Solomon was saying here. Look, of all the other books, there's no end to who's going to publish those. But your shepherd has given you one good word. The one who's over the sun, the one who reigns, and the one whose word matters, and the one who gets to tell us what's most important. And so pay attention to it. And then, going back to Ecclesiastes 12 now, obey it. Do it what he says in verse 13 the end of the matter all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man as his people we should we should do what Paul prays in Colossians 1 we're to know what he wants so we will do it in his power because of the gospel that we would know what he wants and do it Ezra 710 one of the verses I use with my students every year for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. How many of you find, found knowing what God wants and obeying it can be difficult at times? Even this week in my own life, last week we preached 11.10 and 11.10 says remove vexation from your heart and then we continued to have dialogues with FCC about their property. 
and vexation not only moved into my heart, it built a monopoly neighborhood. We're going to put a hotel here on Broadway and Park Avenue, and you already crossed my railroad crossing, right? And so I found in this own week, it was difficult to even obey a command that was for my good. And it was a burden until I remembered providence. It was a burden until I remembered the one above the sun. And then here's our good hope. It's what I encourage those junior high students who obviously have been called to obey and honor their parents. You know the good news? He does not expect us to obey a single command in our own strength. Matter of fact, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Or we would say, we can do two things. We can do, see, Jack and Squire. Such good discipleship. First time guests, those things could be yours too if you stick around here long enough. The depth of the wisdom and knowledge that's here, that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And I love that Jesus is not a king who sits on a throne and says, good luck with that. But he is a king who says, I'm going with you. And all of the difficult things, he doesn't expect you to actually confront someone who you love who's sinning in your own power. He doesn't actually expect you to be patient with a spouse that's frustrating in your own patience. You're just not that patient, are you? But what, what he provides is all that we need. It's what we celebrated yesterday at Jacob and Mickey's celebration that all the commitments they made Christ will be the one that holds those fast. That Christ will be their hope of committing them moment one of marriage and every moment that follows. And so this is the good news for us that even though we're called to obey, we're never called to obey in our own strength, that in Christ we have all that we need. O'Donnell writes and says, this book is God's reminder that if you're attempting to live the meaningful secular life, a life without absolutes, life lived out of values without reference to God, a life that expects lasting satisfaction from earthbound things, you're attempting to grasp the unattainable. And then he gives this picture. I love it. You are like a foolish child trying to catch the winds of a hurricane within the strands of a butterfly net. That's what you are if we come to the end of Ecclesiastes and we're trying to find significance and gain in everything apart from Jesus. There is no butterfly net that will forever contain the winds of a hurricane, right? And so, he says, I've done the research for you to save you some pain. Fear him. Be faithful to him. And be fervent for the gospel. Because everyone you meet this week, they will one day give an account for every secret and every deed to a God who is holy. And if they have not fled to Christ, they will be condemned. They will perish. So he says, fear, be faithful, and be fervent. And as Paul summarizes after giving us 57 verses of the reality of the resurrection, he says this is the conclusion. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for your labor is not in what? Vain. Solomon had more wisdom perhaps than us, but praise God we have more revelation. And we're able to see the rest of the story and to know Christ as our hope and to know that everything we do for him will never be vanity of vanities. It's never going to be wasted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Ecclesiastes. I pray and ask that you would forgive us for the times that we forget that your word is breathed out from a good shepherd. Sorry, God, when we find such joy in things that really aren't lasting. All the 
all the books that are sold, all the things we could download on our Kindles, all the shows we could binge, could never meet the depth of our soul as, as you do in Christ and in your word. Thank you that your word gives wisdom. Your word gives knowledge. Your word is true. Thank you that your word delights. You've written in so many various ways. Even Ecclesiastes is such an incredible picture. The phrases that you gave that certainly declare truth, but do it in a way that grips us and stays with us. I thank you that because you never change, your word will never change. So help us to not grow weary from studying all these things that won't feed our soul. Help us to come to the same conclusion then that Solomon has that we're to fear you and to obey you and that this is our proper response, that you reign. And that in doing this, that it's not restriction, but this is the means to fueling joy and delight. That when you give us good guidelines and principles and boundaries, you do so because you do not want our hearts broken by the flesh, the world, and the devil. So please help us to stop being foolish and immature and continuing to give our hearts to lovers that just shred them. Not one moment, not one second has the flesh or the world or the devil had our best interest at heart. But you always do. Thank you for loving us for our best and purest. Help us to trust you. Thank you that because you reign and you are above the sun, that there is significance even in our pain. That though we don't understand as we walk through this fallen world, why certain things happen. Why you and your wisdom withhold what we would prefer you give. And especially not even to us, but, but to our children, to those we disciple. Help us to be reminded that you love them more than we do. And that whatever pain we face, whether it's work or friendships, relationships, disappointments, or gut-wrenching agony, not a single tear is lost, not a single tear is in vain. That you have purposes, and that often there are ways that you use pain to conform us to the image of Christ that you, you wouldn't use anything else that would be as effective. But we thank you that decline and death and dust are not the final words. Because you spoke death over Christ, you can speak life over us. So, Father, we pray, help us to take Ecclesiastes with us as we go. That we will not waste a moment. That we will trust each season you bring into our life is not arbitrary, but appointed. That we will enjoy our families. That we will enjoy our spouses that you grant. That we will enjoy the food and the drink that you provide that we will go forth with the gospel. Thank you that in the judgment that comes, every deed and every secret that we have, that we would not want to stand on this platform and, and share. You have already brought to light and laid it on Christ. And so whatever we would confess, even this morning to you, perhaps there is some secreted hidden things that we need to repent of this morning and not walk out of here with again. that they're not hidden from you and Christ has paid the full price for them. So what we confess, he has covered. 
this give us great hope to run to you and not away from you. And I pray this week for gospel conversations for those we know that are not in Jesus, that this week would be the week of salvation in some of our coworkers and our neighbors' lives, that they too can have every action and every word and every thought covered by Christ so that when it is all replayed, our one boast is Jesus. It will be clear that none of us have been brought into the right relationship with you because we brought an ounce of righteousness to it. None of us will have done that. None of us will have earned or merited a moment in heaven with you. But Christ has. And so he is our boast. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song of response this morning.